0: Trekking. Like the Judas man
1: once told me, got to play on.
2: We are about to take you on a long, strange podcast. I'm your host, Christian Swain, founder of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. And joining me on this journey is co-founder and host of Rock Talk, Peter Farioli. Due to scheduling conflicts, our host for the first five parts of Long Strange Podcast, Tim Lynch, is unable to join us today. He will be missed, and I'll try to fill his big shoes This podcast is a recap and discussion of each act, one through six, of the documentary Long Strange Trip, The Untold Story of the Grateful Dead, and Amazon Studio Films directed by Amir Barlev and executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Check out IMDb for the full list of producers.
0: Over the course of these last six weeks, we have been hosting a roundtable discussion with interviews and special guests featured in Long Strange Trip, Grateful Dead scholars, thought leaders, and of course, the undeducated, those who are learning about the Grateful Dead and being exposed for the first time through the Long Strange Trip documentary. This is your spoiler warning. We assume you have watched this documentary. We are going to get into all the details uh, of Act 6. We're going to wrap it up, Act 6. It becomes everything. But we are also going to get into the entire four hours. All six acts will be up for discussion. So please, pause this podcast now. Go watch the entire documentary on Amazon. Come back and join us. And Christian, who is this week's dedicated guest?
2: Well, this week, the dedicated joining us to discuss Act 6 and the entire film is none other than the director of Long Strange Trip himself, Amir bar whose credits include Fighter from 2000, My Kid Can Paint That, which the London Telegraph called one of the top 100 films of all time. He's also directed The Tillman Story, Regeneration, Happy Valley, and account of the Jerry Sandusky, Penn State child abuse scandal. Amir, we are so pleased to have you back to the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project to discuss Long Strange Trip.
3: Uh, it's a great honor and a pleasure, and um, I've totally enjoyed the first five episodes and i i feel i have big shoes to fill so i'll do my best
2: yeah you have a, you have a high bar to hit
0: <laughs>
3: we have a listener we
0: know look at we have, we have we know someone's listening at least some we have one person paying attention <laughs> me and my friend <laughs> thank you, you Amir. okay we that. appreciate no, that probably. well actually yeah. i know we have a second listener too because joining us this week is our undeducated guest none other than andy king Andy is the host of a brand new show here at the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project called Real Rock, where he dives into the intersection of rock and roll films, documentaries, and music and culture. Andy loves rock and roll history. He's mostly into 70s punk and early 60s British rock. He is a dive punk band veteran and a failed stand-up comic. Andy, (laughs) thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, I wrote the bio myself. (laughs) <laughs> uh, right. never be afraid to self-deprecate.
0: Andy, we're gonna start with you because we know why Amir is here. Uh, but let's find out why you're here because for someone who knows you know so much about rock history and music and part of the rock and roll archaeology project, I find it a little unsettling that you don't know much about the greatest rock and roll band ever.
1: I've been trying to search into my soul as to why i've I've uh, not really looked into the dead or why I wasn't a fan. I think it's because uh, when I was in middle school, there was a bunch of Deadhead fans, but none of them liked Led Zeppelin, and I always held that against them. And I think for years I was just my own ignorance, maybe, of uh, judging that. And my parents kind of played the Dead a lot as growing up, so I, I rebelled and and kind of went into like the punk stuff. I will say that I don't know if it's a spoiler already, but uh, this documentary has completely changed. No, no, that's, uh, not, that's you're, not a spoiler. That's yeah, yeah. There's no spoilers. <laughs> there's no spoilers now. We've seen all six episodes now, buddy. Uh, oh, I'm uh, I, I I'm not going to call myself a deadhead yet, but I have added uh, "Ripple" and uh, "Broke Down Palace" to my uh, daughter's lullaby set list. So, <laughs> oh, very nice.
3: I, uh, you know, I, I know one of the reasons probably that you didn't get into the dead Andy is, you know, there was this thing between punks and hippies um uh and I on my side, growing up as a deadhead, you know i I always I didn't understand punks at all, and it took basically marrying a punk my my <laughs> wife is, is, was a punk during the time when I was deadhead for me to understand how much love is in in the punk rock scene, you know and how, and how it's really not about anger at all. Uh, I mean, well, it, it is in a very admirable way, but in other words, like I had it completely wrong and uh and I and it's and I, I I just mentioned all that by way of saying that when I started off on this film, I told one of the first pieces of direction I gave to my crew was it's gonna be a punk rock film, not a hippie film. And you know, I was using these these categories probably over deterministically, but I was trying to make the point that we need to burnish off the Grateful Dead and and reintroduce um, some of the danger to the Grateful Dead. You know, that I think has been kind of encrusted over during the years and, and, and made into this sort of happy, hippie, safe thing, which uh, I, I didn't think it really was, When at least when I first got into it,
1: you know? That, that style's what, what actually—the the style in the filmmaking itself is what hit me the, the hardest was because it did come across as—they come across as a punk band, the way, the way they're portrayed as the DIY, we're going to do it, nobody's in charge— you know, we're all working together. There's not really a leader. And all of that stuff's like echoes of the DIY punk scene. And the, I'd never put two and two on that together. Of course I'd never looked into like the dead history before. And uh, but I totally got that in the in the narrative. It's a refreshing way to tell it as opposed to the the standard they're the best hippie band in the world. You know, which is how I've kind of always viewed them. I never viewed them as, you know, they they were kind of punks at heart. They were proto punks at heart. Maybe not musically, but you know, spiritually.
2: Oh, they had that anarchic spirit. There's no two ways about that. Uh, I mean, one of my
3: favorite docs actually is uh, is uh, the uh, the Jeff Strummer doc about the about the future. It's called the future, the is, future unwritten. is unwritten. And yeah. at the very end of that, you know, there is a kind of an olive branch. Like, he under, he, he had all these misgivings about hippies, which towards the end of his life, according to the film, he he, he kind of uh, transcended. And so I, I think that the, the division between the punks and hippies, you know, it was probably a divide and conquer thing, you know, to keep us from joining forces as, you know, we, we should. We should moving forward.
2: <laughs> it's... Oh, I it's, think by by this time, there's definitely yeah. music yeah. and rock and roll music. The lines are blurred. Uh, people are moving back and forth, or rediscovering things that maybe they missed when they were growing up. So, uh, that's that's definitely occurring these days. But let's get into episode six. We've talked about the first five episodes. Andy, you got to really look at episode six, um, a big change. Uh, the the movie uh, definitely ends in sadness. What did you think?
1: Uh, well, I had a very personal moment uh, when we were watching it. I, w- I went back to when I was 12. My grandfather had been in the hospital, and I was staying with him for a, a week. He had had a stroke, and I didn't have anywhere else to go. That was right when Jerry had passed away. And one of the stock footage clips was the exact thing I saw when my grandfather passed away. I kind of like, the minute I saw that in my mind, I went directly there to, like, I was 12 years old again. And uh, I was also holding my daughter at the time, and then it cut to, to Trixie, and I was like, oh, my God, stop pulling at the heartstrings, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it was, uh, honestly, it was a that... I know that's completely, that's a completely subjective uh, praise, for lack of a better word. You know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a million people who, who got a personal touch to something in that documentary that took them back in time. And, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little too young to have experienced the full, you know, the breadth of what they did. I do have some connection, even though I'm undeducated. I do have some connection. And then when it hit me, I was like, I watched this documentary twice and I watched it in episodic form night after night. And then I watched it straight to see if it felt different, if the flow was different or the pacing. Mm -hmm. Also, I really enjoyed it. So it was, you know, it was kind of a labor of love for me. But to watch it change from it's so happy and, you know, these guys love what they're doing to like, yeah, that fame takes a toll and there's a machine running. And, and Jerry's at the heart of that machine, and he's taking it all on himself. And uh, it, was, it was incredibly moving just the when it does – it kind of does a twist. And when it does that twist, it just – it hits you like a ton of bricks.
0: You, you mentioned something there, and I wanted to uh, kind of tie this together. You mentioned watching it in uh, the act. As six different acts which have the same opening and they have the long credits and you actually watched it together as the one film. I saw it as the film first in the theater with the sound which when we got to interview Amir and and he'll speak a little more about the sounds and the stems and what makes the sound of this movie a little so special and then I watched it in the, the six act form and the, what you mentioned, Amir, about the sense of menace, the punk, the little bit of edginess in the documentary translated much more for me in the six act watching than it did in the four hour uh, one sitting watching. And I think part of it is the opening, of the long straight trip is a little bit of menace. There's a little bit of menace every time you get that <laughs> opening, yeah, right. right? And you repeat that and you don't get that in the movie. Um, you get the acts, kind of the switch to the scenes a little feels more transitional slide like. Um, but here it feels a little more jarring every time that, uh, the, the edginess to each open and then you have the long credits. So my question to you, a- a- Andy, did you, when you watched it as all six acts, did you remove the credit scenes or did you watch them all through again? Cause they're all the same. I, I think.
1: No, I, well, I just watched them back. Like I binge watched it over, you know, four hours. Um, so I still got the, the intro, which I, I loved that intro with the kind of a dirty film. Uh, that was that was gorgeous.
2: well, i'll I'll, I'll throw in that, you know I, I got to see the screener as a movie. Uh, and then I watched it uh, episodically. And then i I sat down with my family, uh, my wife, my seventeen year old, and we watched all six episodes uh, on Amazon. They, I was surprised. I, I didn't think they'd make it through the four hours. My, my wife is a known non-deadhead. By the time we'd gotten through the whole thing, I had not only succeeded in getting them to understand the band, but I'd gotten them to both go with me to the Dead and Company show like a week later.
1: How did oh, Wow. Did they dig uh, it? Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> funny story. Uh, just the other day, my wife and I are walking. Uh, we. Come back from the grocery store. I, some groceries in the hand. We're walking, and all of a sudden, I start hearing uh, uh, Franklin's Tower coming out of my wife's mouth. <laughs> 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 and I turned around, and I and she looked at me in horror and was like, "Oh my God, was I just yes,
3: yes, you were." <laughs> well, Andy, I think that you know that's not. Uh, I think that is a, a transpersonal. Story you told at the top, and it's a great way to start our conversation. I and just parenthetically, I played uh, when my grandfather was dying, and I was a little bit younger. I, I was playing the Grateful Dead in the room, you know, as he was as he was dying. He was, you know, he was he was unconscious, so he couldn't complain. But uh, uh, it, you know, so I I tie I tie the Grateful Dead in deeply with um, the passing of my own grandfather, and but it, uh, you know, on a, on a more um, thematic lo- level the the film is, this act is about um, passing, you know, it's about passing. And, and and the fact that you also mentioned your daughter is, is exactly, you know, germane as well, because um, it's about death and birth, this last act. and, yeah, and
2: Tri- uh, Trixie p- plays a big part in episode yeah. six. So uh, she, you know, Jerry's daughter is there and trying to wrap her head around the entire thing and, and what it means and, and how she was always separated from it. Um And, you know, there was just in the heart of this, there was just this guy, her dad, the person she looked up to, the guy who was there to take care of her. And yet there's all this other family, this giant family of millions that are, you know, asking for the same love that she as a parent or she as a child expects.
3: You know, it's I know everybody says when they talk about the, the end of the film that there's a that there is a twist that there's a turn that it gets sad and 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 I know all those things are true. I tried my best to have it feel like you're just looking at the other side of a coin from the from the stuff mm-hmm. that um, that you that is more celebratory and less sad uh, early on and 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 we tried really hard to kind of map the things that are happening in Act 6 or, or at the end of The Grateful Dead to things that have happened earlier in the story so that uh, it doesn't feel as though, um, you know, as though these things came from, from somewhere else and suddenly preyed upon our story, but rather th- this is sort of the, the, the direction we've always been going and um, to, to kind of try to avoid it would be to sort of step outside of of fate in a way, you know, so so that like so it's it's the both and thing, basically that um that Barlow's talking about earlier, um, that you know there there are things that Jerry could have done to avoid um, some of things that happened once everything got big. Um, but that wasn't in his character. you know, I don't think that was in his character. I mean, obviously, I don't know the guy, but I'm just saying, um, you know we have a certain capacity as humans to, um, to tack away from where we're going, you know, but but not a total capacity to do that, and and in some way, like so. So I like to say, uh, um, and I maybe said to you guys when we first spoke, that you know when I was uh, sixteen years old. And and touch of gray happened, or maybe I was a little older or whatever, but I had only been to the band for like a year or two, right? And and being very cred conscious, you know, uh, teenager, I did a lot of pissing and moaning about the newbies, which was silly because I already was, I was a, I was a fucking newbie, right? You know, so right, and, right. you know, but now that I can think about things without that teenage mindset, you know, um, I see that, you know, um the 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 explosion of popularity was all part of the story and and to kind of have a, tried to avoid it in some way to make distinctions about who belonged and who didn't, um, rather than to just open oneself up to where this was going, as Jerry said. You know, we've never... We've ne- we've always been open to where things are going. Let's see where this takes us. Would be to kind of step outside of the Grateful Dead story and be, uh, and steer the ship more than the Grateful Dead like to be steered, constitutionally, you know? And-and we wouldn't be having this conversation. I wouldn't have made the movie. We wouldn't have um, the kind of cultural traction that we have now, um, had wa- had somebody, you know, listen to me or tried to, you know, make distinctions of the kind that, uh, that maybe we had wanted to make, uh, at the time, but were kind of anathema to, to what the Grateful Dead is.
2: Well the, the, the you know the band was an underground band for so long and so many, you know, I've been through it before. I'm sure you guys, Peter and, and Andy have as well, where you've discovered this band, it's all yours. You're you're sharing it with the people you know uh as a secret club to to join into, and then all of a sudden they have some giant radio hit and now everybody comes. You know, the The Grateful Dead had that happen in eighty seven with uh, in the dark and you know the thing was the, the, the reaction to Reaganism, you know, the funny thing I find in the film, Amir, is that if there is a villain to uh, to, to point to, it seems to be Ronald Reagan. He shows up a couple times, uh, first in the early 1960s, basically riding on the coattails of one of the acid tests. Uh, speech that he gave uh, regarding multiple films going on at the same time, which is always a big joke. And then, of course, he's now president. And the dead and that culture is a, is a reaction to uh, the philosophy that is espoused by the people in power uh, at the time. And so many people jump up and go, yeah, I, I, don't, I reject that and I want this. It was nice to have all of those people show up uh, even though they created a lot of problems. And to your point, it's part of what's kept the engine going here now 22 years yeah. on. sort of felt George's like a
0: summer tour. I...
2: Yeah, the, a return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I Like I said, I, I brought my family, and but I wasn't the only one. Uh, a lot of people did. And I saw Dead & Company last year, and I didn't see nearly as many kids and families and things like that uh, the last year. The last year, I think, was kind of the checkout. And everybody came home and went, hey, you know what? this is pretty good. They started to introduce again. So, which is really cool. Danny, let's get to, to kind of what, you know, what was your big takeaway in episode six?
1: Uh, My biggest takeaway was I watched it as a film critic because that's how I watch all movies. And then I watched it as a rock fan as a rock fan. There's not better uh, documentary out there. I really, I mean, this is, you know, this is on par with the Beatles anthology, uh, for me, which is my all-time favorite I watch three times a year. <laughs> man, if you could only
2: tell the director that. Jeez, Thanks, man. What's... That is... Uh... Uh, Amir, I think all three of us would agree with that. Um, well... I remember Peter came home uh, from seeing the, uh, the premiere in San Francisco, and he called me and said, it's the greatest documentary ever. And I, in my head, I'm going, really? Okay, sure. <laughs> you know, and... Um, I've seen this thing like six times now, uh, <laughs> and,
3: and uh, well, you know. What? The, I, I, let me—it's
2: me... it's right up there. It is right up there.
3: I'm going to interrupt you just because I'm bashful, and just say that. And this is really not me being phony. I if I learned a lot from the Grateful Dead. I, 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 I to the degree that I'm a good storyteller, uh, a you know, a nonfiction storyteller, um, it's because I learned to listen. And, and I think we were all taught that um, by the example of, of the band listening to each other and then the fans that came before us, you know, or, you know who existed when we all showed up, um, were just paragons of of good listening you know and then and that's why this has been so fun for me because it's so much more fun you know listening listening to your to the conversations that are happening about my film about listening you know yeah. <laughs> it, it really is very grateful dead and 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 you know um we have always been welcome as deadheads to 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 be participants in this thing and the participation comes from from good listening and then you know, adding your own sort of, uh, interpretation, the marginalia around the primary text, you know? And, uh, and it was a great honor of my life to be able to put people like... that I've always... that I've learned so much from, like Steve Silberman and Dennis McNally, you know, who have been on your show. Um, and and then, uh, you know, who I've learned how to listen from. It's been a great honor for me to hear them talk about, uh, uh, you know, my film and, uh, and of course you know I, I didn't do it alone it was a huge group effort with a lot of people who also had the same kind of values deadheads and punks on on our team and 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 neither you know mm-hmm. and um and and so uh you know i just i just want to say that uh, you know i just want to say i really am honored by uh by this and i feel it's all part of a continual conversation you know i mean that's what addicts of my life is about after all right you know that's that's the thing it's like when there was no ear to hear you saying to me. Mm. And that's that's like the life of the soul is the life of listening to one another, you know, and it's it's a great honor.
0: What you just said is so true about the deadhead community because something I just realized that you know what we talked about dead and company there's a giant group on Facebook of like 60,000 new deadheads under dead and company that really don't know much about the old dead yeah. but the one thing they all unite around the one thing they all hate that has been happening in the last week is people talking at the shows mm-hmm. like oh, all oh, of a sudden, yeah like yeah like that's the rally point now around deadheads is like shut the hell up at the shows like where did this come from all of a sudden like and that's you well, just said yeah, it <laughs>
3: like the 90s all over again you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. one of the main reasons i i left because of that So thank God, you know, that that people are more tuned into that right now. You know, now let's get rid of the phones at the shows, you know, the constant filming, you know, quote unquote filming. (laughs) You know, if we could get rid of that, we would be... It's possible. It's possible. It's uh, possible.
2: A couple of weeks ago, Peter and I went to see, uh, like, I think it was two weeks after we saw Dead Company, we saw King Crimson. And on the stage were uh, posters that basically said... Do not pull out your phone, and if you do, you'll be kicked out. And 3,000 oh, people
0: do not pull their phone out. Nobody
2: pulled their phone out for the entire <laughs> yeah. show. But,
0: I've been but waiting for that, you know? that's anti Jerry would not like that, Amir. That's
1: pretty well, you know, anti okay, I'm not Jerry. You know? <laughs> <show>. <laughs> no, well, that's pretty anti deadhead
0: of you to say that. I mean, no, Jerry's no, not here. Not here. <laughs> no, I guess what <laughs> it's uh, Let's see
3: what John yeah, Mayer says, Jerry's not, you know, it's what's that? What was the great line? Uh at jerry's memorial service um somebody said you know when as you're moving forward in life you know just think what would jerry do and then somebody turned somebody else and said and then do the exact opposite i mean you know this is the question right it's like how how you know i i guess i'm more of a of a a john perry barlow you know um but on some level, right? So I, I, I do I do think that the that this that the, the, the boat should be steered a little bit, but I'm not the guy to steer it. I'm just telling you, you know, like, what those things are not equivalent. I mean, I don't know what Jerry would think because I think Jerry was pretty committed to trying to create a space for the present moment, right? right. And the things that interrupted that, you know, I think they did try to curate the space, you know? I think the space was holy and... Um, and 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 I, I think that does and that does uh, create a, a right and a wrong maybe on some level, you know. Yeah. Um, not that, not, but it's broadly determined, right? You know, you can do a lot of different things with the Grateful Dead, but may, maybe not everything. But right? let's <laughs> take the extension of the
0: tapers, right? So what I'm trying to get at a little bit is if you look at today's technology, the couch tour, like, so when Oteil's wife is on the side stage filming with her pocket camera and live streaming O'Teal, there's a sense of community and connection that the tapers extended right. post-show, uh, through the well and through the trading of the trees, yeah. oh. And I, I kind of feel yeah. like that is happening a little bit with the phones and the video now
3: for people who don't can't be there. Well, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, uh, I, I think it's different. You know, I mean, like they weren't at a certain point. The, the band wasn't okay, and the scene wasn't okay with people taping everywhere, right? They, they, they said, like you know, you you're getting in, the, you're getting too many arguments with people about sound and stuff between tapers and non-tapers, and let's put all the tapers in one place, you know, so. So that, maybe that's what we need. You know, I mean, I think it's different for the wife of the bass player to be on there, you know, doing something. Sure. Up, it's on it, yes. stage that, you know, somebody, you know, everybody all around you constantly. Um, but, you know, maybe that's just me. Maybe there should be like a small corralled pen for people who don't like iPhones and I'll go there. You okay. know what I mean? And then
0: you have to go to the people who don't like the Bill Walton standing in front of them section too. you know, you're blocking me, Bill.
3: <laughs> that's
0: yeah. Put the knows.
2: wingspan I- down. Um, you know, the fact is, is that I, I think we're we and uh, Peter, as you mentioned, the community itself is already beginning to police itself here. There the discussions are, are happening. People will hear about it. A consensus will probably be made. Yeah. And over uh, time, uh, if Dead and Company continues on, as we expect Um you know, uh, there'll be some sort of, uh, unspoken rule and, and newbies when they do the, whatever the unspoken rule is, they'll be nudged and said, Hey, you know, here's the way to do it. That, I, that's how I was educated into, uh, this community. You know, uh, you know, I made a couple of faux paws, uh, early on and, and it took me a while to get it. And in fact, it took me years to really, uh, get it. So, uh, you know, I just think that's what's going to happen and, uh, we'll, we'll get there. So let's get, let's get back to, to episodes six here unfortunately i can't ask amir so amir what is your, your favorite, favorite part of episode yes, six or can. what did you take away <laughs> from sure, episode yeah. six because well okay i guess we will so amir what you know what, what what was your favorite moment of
3: episode six i watched it again yesterday let me answer it this way to be you know different than than others it just the part that was most fun to put together you know for That's us yeah. uh was was the uh the coma you know because that come oh. yeah yeah because so so i mean there's, there's and with the mandala
2: I, coming in and uh, all the effects yeah, and yeah
3: because uh, you know we we early on so my my animator his name is stefan nadelman who you know deserves just endless amounts of credit uh he's just a single guy who did all the animation um you know that those foreboding uh long strange trip title cards included and everything that uh that made the film really honestly. I, I particularly
2: um, like the, yeah. the moment we talked about acid and like that little splash would occur. Yeah. Go,
3: oh, I, I know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he first did a little style guide test for me, he did something that was amazing and totally psychedelic. And I said, you know, um, I don't think this is gonna work. I think I think it's just too expected for us to be this psychedelic. And I actually think the film has should have a narrative structure that's psychedelic but the look of it the style of it should you know be very analog and then so he went back to the drawing board and he did that beautiful analog rack focuses on the on the photos and using a lot of um um uh contact sheets and letting the grease pen pencils of the of the photographers remain and all the stuff that he did which had a different kind of meta it created a kind of a meta narrative, um, which is in itself psychedelic, but doesn't scream psychedelia yet. I, so I said, okay, I'll let you finally go back to your psychedelic stuff for the coma. That's the only part <laughs> of the film that I want to be psychedelic. So he pulled it. Yeah. It was like, you know, it, we actually did it as one of the last things. Um, and so he was able to be like a, fi- you know, a, a, a pyrotechnic who gets rid of all the fireworks in the, in the, in the, the end of the pyrotechnic display. Right. So he, so he just pulled out all the stops, and and not only just through the visual storytelling, but also we had created this symbolic language. Um, so there was all this, there, there all these ways you could take things that meant a certain thing, and the audience now, after four hours, three hours, they know instantly what you mean, as you as you just said, you know. Um, but you can play with that, right? So like early on in the film, when Jerry's talking about Frankenstein, um, in a way. It it, symbolically, it means he's identifying with Abbott, because he's saying, like, I I saw this monster, and it scared me. I decided to become... to to, to make a friend of the fear. But now, over time, we've identified him with Frankenstein, you know, because he's, you know, he's like, uh, friends, good, you know? So, So there's been this slipperiness in the meaning, you know? And in the coma, you can play with that. You know, I saw my face, like, I love dead, you know? And he's both things at that time. But also, he's talking about the future, right? And so... He's able to very quickly usher in the footage of, of Jerry peering into the camera from act two. And you know that Jerry's tripping at that time. And you know that on some level, he knows he's looking at you, the audience later, right? So when he says, I, I was in the future, and uh, I could, uh, and, you know, there were these, there were these, vis- you know, insectoid like presences who were looking at me from a spaceship in the future. That's us, right? You know, so it's working on all these different levels. That, um, and then I put in. You know, people have complained that I didn't follow the story after Jerry died. That's the place where I did, because very, very briefly, you see the Chicago shows. He says I was in the spaceship, and you see the blimp that was going over us in Chicago that said "Dead 50.
1: So oh, fair, know, he, he is looking well into concert, the
3: future. Right. I'm giving mm-hmm. you like little uh, Easter eggs. Ah, yeah. so that is the moment where we use. The fairly well footage because in a way we're trying to say he is looking at the future right and then he says i, my, I looked at my bl- my bloodstream and it was um these message units or something like that that's when we briefly show tapes because that is how jerry's bloodstream is today right he exists in the music and the in recorded music as a piece of art you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so it would that's my favorite part and then there's you know my brilliant editor keith phrase uh found a, a piece of camera shake from the touch of gray Recording sessions to come out on, so there's this beautiful cut to a shake, you know, so it's as if he's jarred back into existence from his coma. I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of my team. I'm proud of of the researchers and and my animator and my editors and everything that went into that coma sequence, you know, and my restraint in not making the whole film look like that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, we talked a little bit about that when we first sat down with you. That uh, you had uh, several people on your team who were not deadheads. That kind of could uh, could make sure that this thing felt fell in that line. Uh, and because, and I'll, I'll throw this to Andy because he is undeducated at this point. Uh, that um, uh, that the do you feel, Andy, that the movie f- found that line between being uh, too fanboy? Or too clinical.
1: I think the balance was struck perfectly because uh, there are times in the narrative where you are a little critical, for lack of a better term, like calling them on their shit for this. And even though you can laugh about it now, I don't think you know a, a pure, just like fanboy bunch of deadheads making a movie wouldn't add that in. From what Amir was saying, the the split between the psychedelic, the psychedelia, not being on it the entire time. Is what drew me in actually? Because it, had it been the coma sequence the whole time with clips, yeah, I probably would have checked out mentally because it just been like, you know, it's just too much. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, you know, it would it would have been too much. for what it is. It's perfect. And that, and I actually caught the symbolism on the the bloodline with the tapes. Uh, I didn't catch the other ones, so I'm glad you went through that because that was enjoyable. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so long. There you have it. That sequence uh, made me scared to death to be in a coma, but like, maybe it's cool. I don't like it. was weird <laughs> for me. I was like in a weird spot. I was like, I, hmm, I don't know. I don't know. It looks fun, <laughs> but it looks scary <laughs> as all hell. Uh, Only for Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> I like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the Frankenstein imagery that goes across the, in, the entire film. That was amazing to me, and then when it ties in the point where Trixie pulls the the sketching of Frankenstein out of the uh, the Jerry archives she's working on, and I went like, "There it is!" <laughs> like I was like, "Oh wow, this this whole thing just tied together with Frankenstein." I was like, it stuck with me for a day. I was just thinking like, "How awesome is that?" Well, let's let's explore the
2: the Frankenstein thing a little bit more, because that that is the a motif that runs through the the whole film. It starts with an interview, uh, one of the last interviews, if not the last interview that uh, that Jerry did. Amir, how did you find that uh, that piece of footage that um, you know up until now had uh, uh, remained um, uh, you know hidden?
3: But actually, it hadn't. You know, it wasn't hit. That footage is easily accessed. I think on YouTube, maybe. I mean, it's around. And I and I, I mentioned that because it was it was right under my nose, uh, hiding in plain sight. I had heard it. I just can't. I I have to give credit uh, to to my editor, uh, not the one I mentioned, but the other one, John Walter. Um, is a cinephile who loves Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Uh, he's the punk rock guy that I, I've alluded to, um, not by name, and and he he you know he he said like, uh, you know, see what you do when you make a film uh, documentary uh, is you put together a team of people who think unlike you think, uh, Grateful Dead style, Jerry Garcia putting it, the band together style, and and then you know you you have people who want to do things a different way and you create this kind of dynamic tension between how you see it and and how they see it and it's extraordinarily fruitful and 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 this was a case in which um I had heard that interview and I just didn't under I didn't think about it in psychological terms and that's what what uh, John did is he 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 said you know this is the, the 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 key that unlocks the door to Jerry's psyche on a certain level you know it, you know once he said it I I understood it and and the thing that you have to do is kind of I think it plugs back into you know not to armchair or psychoanalyze but, you know here's a guy who by his own description he's taught he he associates it with his father's death right so he's a kid who, who who's lost his father and and then he sees a, a film about a dead thing brought back to life and it scares the living daylights out of him you know and 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 he decides to to make a friend of that fear right so um, and you know he says it was a life changing experience watching this movie so you know putting it at the, at the top of the film um, w- was, was immediately attractive to us. And then using the clips later only became attractive as we went along. You know, we kind of improvised that. Um, but the notion of, of Jerry's relationship with death is, is paramount, right? And, and it's become so important, I think, in this last act. I, we gotta say, again, Andy, you know, bringing up your grandfather's death, to me, is exactly right, because what is it we're all struggling with we're struggling with the question of, of a thing ending, you know? And, and whether a thing, how to make a thing that doesn't end, or whether we should try to make a thing that doesn't end, you know? And, and it becomes about the human condition on a certain level. I think that, uh, that, that Jerry um, decided to be part of, as he says, to be part of something living. What's the thing that delineates living more than anything else? It dies. Right. You know, so it, it's a paradoxical thing. Right. So a lot of the things that w- when I mentioned earlier that people have been saying, why didn't you just keep talking about how this is still going on? You know, a lot of people wanted me to end the film that way. And I struggled. We, we struggled with this act more than any other act. And, and we must have edited this act for a year, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and and why? Because to try to figure out how to navigate it around whether the Grateful Dead is over or not over, because, on some level, it does persist. But on another level, something ended, right? You know, I mean, and a lot of times when I feel like I was talking to people about how to, what the last couple scenes should be, I felt like I was actually talking to them about, you know, their grandfather or something like that, right? You know, like this question of, like um, Nietzsche said, all joy wants eternity, wants deep, deep eternity. And, you know, and, and we all want that. Um, and so I've often felt like I want to give people a hug and say... Jerry's gone and the Grateful Dead is over. But our capacity to do the thing that the Grateful Dead was doing, how could that end? You know, how could, how could, how could being in the now end? How could loving one another, listening to one another, enjoying music, all the things that, you know, being spontaneous, all the things, that the, the, the principles that the Grateful Dead were aspiring towards, those are timeless and, and eternal, right? So, you know, we're all born at the right time. But it's a delicate issue, right? Because you don't want to be the guy to say, you missed it, right? And you also don't want to be the guy to say, to say something stupid like nothing ever dies. But I think that's what Jerry was, I'm, I'm blabbing a little bit, but I think that's what Jerry was struggling with when he embraced the notion of Frankenstein. This question of like, you know, th- that's not the way to make something live forever electrifying a corpse you're you're talking about death in the
0: bookends of frankenstein the two bookends i picked up also in this episode of act six for me were that of the art and love so you bring in bridget Mare again from the beginning yeah. and we find that when jerry is you know I, I talked about this early on that on my second watching feeling that the backlash to the broken heart of playing the sterile bluegrass set him on the course of bringing this band together and creating the Grateful Dead, right? He was what you bring up early on when he's playing bluegrass, it's real sterile and there's no fun. Yeah. Bridget's not having any more fun with Jerry and Jerry goes off now and creates this fun thing. And then you bring Bridget back who helps heal Jerry um, with love at the end. There's this love connection you, you make, and then you make the connection with back to the Watchtower tower and what you just mentioned about the, the permanence of art and, the going on of the spirit. And there's some things I think Bobby has a couple a moment in here where it's a very Bob ism where Bob says, you know, it was, is, and will be there. You know, he's, you know Bob's talking about in the future, and I wanted to just tie that into something with the dead because you you didn't know what was going to happen with the dead and company this summer, right? I mean, you kind of the, the spirit and energy and the things that say or that are being talked about at the end of this documentary about the spirit, whether it's Steve Silverman talking about it or uh, or what Bobby just said, is that it continued and it's continuing. Like we're here talking about it, obviously. So, so, for me, that was just super powerful that you had the love, the art, and the death. It wasn't
3: all about death for me. I, I think actually, as we finished this, I had already seen Dead and Co and been really excited about that, you know. but I mean, I, I you know the the Grateful Dead is in a million different places right now, not just Dead and Co. Uh, yeah. you know, and not yeah. just in music, you know what I mean? It's like it's it's in the way that our fine senator from Minnesota is trying to save our our great country uh and you know a million other ways i mean um corporeal something yeah. died
2: okay uh, yeah. and and something always dies but yeah. the spirit of that thing continues on in a myriad of ways that spirit is even more powerful than um than than even when the the Dead itself was uh, was around, uh, and and I'll convey this in in a, in a story for for myself. Um, uh, I came to the Dead about the same time as you, Amir, in the, the mid '80s. Uh, picked it up with the you know with the 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 craziness of uh, in the dark, and you know my my first experience was an awful one. I really hated it. It was Bob Dylan and, and the Dead at Anaheim Stadium, and I, I I walked away going, this is ridiculous. Why would anybody be into this? My brother my, who has passed, turned me on and kept saying, no, no, you got to go back. You got to go. You got to see this, that's wrong here, I'll take you. They showed up in Long Beach a couple of weeks later or a couple months later. First night I went, I was like, they, it was a totally different band. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, this, I get by 95, you know, after Brent died, I, that's when I first checked out. I was like, eh, whatever. I went to a couple of shows, uh, went to Phoenix, went to Vegas, uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, I just wasn't that really impressed. And then in 95, on that last tour, uh, my brother got me to go back to Shoreline and see him. And I walked out in the parking lot going, this is ridiculous. They need to take a break. And unfortunately, Jerry passed. Two months later, I was listening to the radio, and this song came on, and I was like, who the fuck is that? It was an awesome song. I went and found who they were. They were they had a show that was coming to Shoreline. I bought tickets. Uh, I go to the show expecting to see this funk sort of rock band thing. It's Fish, and I was introduced to Fish two months after Jerry died, and was like, "Oh my God, this it's it's like the same sort of thing. It's different, but it's the same sort of thing. It has the same feel, the same vibe, this uh, this char- the character." Of uh, of of what you know the improvisational uh, side of things the 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 love the joy uh, the the depth uh, of emotion in the music was was there and you know since then there's there's a gazillion other bands that are like that musically um, so you know it's calm and now you know like we've talked about 22 years on you know I I personally think and I think Peter agrees with me here this particular incarnation of dead and company um is uh you know kind of finding a little bit of that old magic uh that uh, that some of us felt back in the day
3: oh yeah there's no doubt about that i mean um i i've just i've been so impressed yeah i mean well you know my story is very similar i stopped seeing them after brent died and and i only came back with dead and co really i mean i went to those shows in chicago which were super fun too but every time i tried to dip my toe back into the water and i just probably caught bad shows in the early 90s and they were so demoralizing but you know i mean it's it's uh it's it's alive as long as it's as it's you know you have to there's two like tent poles right where jerry says that's not it for me when he's talking about the towers yeah. right yeah, but then but then at the very end and this is crucial you know he says um, yeah, I hope somebody picks up on this because I picked up on what Jack Kerouac was laying down and it put me into the life I've lived. And, you know, so 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 you could almost look as, at, at that, I think wrongly, you could look at that as being inconsistent. You know, Jerry, these are just two pieces of art and you're, you know, poo-pooing one of them and then, you know, embracing the other. But I think what he's talking about is the way that art works. He's not saying that there's something wrong with the Watts Towers. He's saying... Um, what, you know, when something fr- is frozen and becomes repetitive, um, be- and lacks dynamism and-and-and doesn't kind of get passed on as a baton and then re-expressed in some new way, you know, um, then-then it's-then it's frozen and it's dead, you know? Um, but if-if it, if it gets... If-if we can listen to one another, <laughs> you know, if we can read books and-and enjoy art and then-and then find ways of expressing our own... Life, our own, you know, uh, perspective. Um, that's right for the times that we're in. Then nothing dies. Then there is eternal life. You know what I mean? And that's what I get out of "Broke Down Palace." You know, gonna plant a weeping willow by the bank's green edge. It'll grow, grow, grow. You know, that's 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 what I think that song is about. Anyway, for me, you know, I mean, it's about it's about it's a message from the dead. You know that there's this river of time. You know, and 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 there is something that can be planted by it. Um, and, and that's why it's so nice to see people, um, enjoying art of any kind. You know what I mean? Like we, we've all, we, that's actually the thing that keeps us going and sustains us and nourishes us as human beings is the love of dead people for us, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, expressed in art and, 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 even in institutions and stuff like that, you know?
2: Well, they, they kind of, they kind of mm-hmm. go from people to something mythological, uh, and, uh, there's like, like almost everything in the world, there's good and bad about that. Andy, let's, let's, let's get some final thoughts on, uh, the, the movie. I mean, because we've seen all six acts now, um, you know, you obviously really liked it. You, uh, you felt it was, uh, one of the best, uh, rock docs, uh, ever made. And, uh, we completely agree with you there. What, what are your final thoughts and, and are you now going to become a deadhead?
1: Well, quite possibly. Uh, I was—I was, I was actually—I was really nervous going into this conversation here, because uh, I'm much funnier when I don't like the movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just as a critic. Um, and and I—I I didn't have anything to pick apart in this one, and I was. I was just kind of... Oh, you
0: should have gone on the Deadhead boards. There's lots of things that they're having. One <laughs> if you were a Deadhead, you'd find... They'll give you there. good material. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. But uh, I wanted to avoid all the, all the negativity. No, uh, not, not all sunshines <laughs> and
2: rainbows, yes. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, where we had talked about uh, earlier when uh, Amir brought up the uh, Joe Stromer documentary, The Future is Unwritten, I felt like, and even watching this, and I'm so glad you brought that up, I felt like that was the perfect bookend to this movie, where you know you had a punk kind of laying down flowers for the hippies, and then you've got uh some hippies burning a trash can for the punks. <laughs>
3: and- <laughs> yeah, see now you're being funny. Yeah.
1: and even me as like as a, as a punk fan who, who grew up with that, it's the the style, the narrative, everything about this kind of screams punk to me, you know, and and that's that's what entranced me is someone who's not a fan of the dead, but is a fan of rock and roll and the mythos of rock and roll watching it. I I was completely enamored by this band Uh, this weekend. I I went and watched the, uh, the 77 grateful dead movie. You know, it's mostly a concert footage with psychedelic uh, animation in between. Yes. Various. Yeah. Very psychedelic animation. It was a little freaky. Uh, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that as a documentary but I didn't enjoy it as much as this one. You know, even though that one was, uh, you know, directed by Garcia, that I just, I didn't have the same feel for me as, as like this one did. And I think that different approach that you took to, to making this, uh, where, like you said, you brought in, you know, some non-dead heads and people who were neither. That different approach kind of solidified the narrative. You know, I have heard the, well, the dead went on after Jerry, it's like, yeah, but I mean, there's a narrative to to write here, and you know, and so it's, it's a beautiful story that gets told from a critical point of view. Like, I understand where, you know, where you left it off. I I I get it, and it it was gorgeous for me. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite act, it would be uh, Who's in Charge was probably my favorite <laughs> one. And then when Al Franken showed up, that was a surprise to me. And kind of, I've got all the Franken books. I'm a huge fan. And when I when I saw him on there, I was like, Oh man, there's Al Franken. Yeah. <laughs> you'll, you, you'll listen
0: to um, the last podcast with Dennis McNeil. who explained how you know Al Franken and the Dead's World collide actually back in 1980.
2: Yeah, it's uh, what is it? What, what's the film uh, that was the concert uh, that? Dead well, they had. did a skit. They did yeah, a skit. Dead Ahead. Dead Ahead. Right. and
0: they did a right, skit right. of instead of Jerry yeah. Lewis Telethon, yeah. Jerry's kids. Yeah. They were like Deadheads. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, mm, Frank
2: tried to uh, hitchhike
3: to Egypt. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so um, we're going to continue on. We're gonna we're gonna keep Andy with us here. Uh, normally we would let our undeducated go, but uh, uh, Amir, let us talk a little bit about uh, the guests that that we've had uh, we've had on. Um, you know, what's what's your first takeaway from uh, the the folks that we've brought together? Oh um, man, yeah. yeah.
3: I don't even know where I'd start. I mean, it's just been so enrapturous for me. I mean uh, the w- one thing that comes to mind right out of the gate is the way Steve uh, Silberman focuses on um, on the practice. It's just the way he says it that when Jerry in Act 2 is trying to talk down the film crew uh, he just offers them this very zen-like practical advice you know. To me that is such a smart thing to isolate and make a comment about the practicality of, of what Jerry is saying, you know, um, because we all have these tendencies uh, to, you know, especially when re- with regards to psychedelics and stuff, to, to get into um you know platitudinous talk or or cosmic talk or whatever and Jerry's basically saying yeah, here's your problem you <laughs> yeah. see you're just in between these, we got to the call- caveman
2: caveman mode right right yeah
3: i think that's so smart and again it comes back to this we we're now it's almost a shorthand calling it punk punk mentality but you know it, it, it's it's more like what i'm saying is let's let's come down off these sort of um you know, lo- lofty, maybe self-absorbed kind of cosmic ways of thinking about things, and figure out what's the most generous thing we could do at any one moment. You know, and that's I, I had never thought about uh, that that moment with Jerry in the way that Steve Silberman, you know, that way that uh, until Steve talked about it that way, is this sort of practical, helpful advice, mm-hmm. which uh, you know is is. You know, kind of brings things into relief in in that kind of I don't know we're, we're calling it punk way, you know, and uh, um, and keeps us on our toes, you know, in that punk punk kind of way. um so that's that's Susannah Millman is just a delight to listen to you know, uh, for, uh, always she's got such a great New york voice oh. um and and then uh, and the New York sensibility. and then she's talking about s- synchronous magic, you know, the way she talked about magic, I thought mm-hmm. was really. Wonderful. All that you're non-deducated folks. That, I mean, I just, again, you know, the capacity for listening, the way that people have opened themselves up, you know, Andy included, uh, to to this experience, which can often be off-putting to people because it seems like there's no space for newcomers, yet all, you've, you've cast it so well um, as hosts and, and brought in these folks who have something to offer and are also very open to, to listening. Uh, Dennis, of course, is, you know, a, a teacher of mine. You know, I mean, his, his books have always been uh, guiding forces for me. So, I mean, you know, I could go on and on, but it's just been... Um, I've learned a lot about the film. I really have. I mean, I genuinely learned a lot of film from your guests and from the way you guys have been talking about it. Well, we well, I certainly appreciate that. And, and you know I yeah. have a long
0: list of those Facebook type questions. I asked some uh, deadheads and folks and friends if they we were talking to you what kind of questions they had. And a couple of things that came up, Amir, I want to ask you. I'm, you know We're not going to put you on the spot about what isn't in the film. We're not those people. The process, the art, uh, we respect and love it. So, But here are some things that are in the film that we could talk about that, that uh, I would love to hear your take on. So the first one, the big uh, for me in the six act is Robert Hunter. So the scene where, you know, it's so casual where Bob and Natasha are in the car and we don't know, he's like, does he know we're coming? And you go up to see him in <laughs> oh, Napa yeah, yeah. and you don't know that he, you're coming to visit him. So can you tell us a little bit about that scene? Had you contacted Robert about the interview and what happened there?
3: Well, okay. I mean, uh, the, 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 the fact is that I, have been, I had been uh, triangulating and, and trying to uh, corner Robert Hunter into an interview for a, a really long time time, you know, um, and, uh, through a various intermediaries and, it, and he did not know, uh, we were coming at that moment. It's, it's, it's really complicated. I don't know that it makes a great story, No, okay, it's, a combi- it's, it's a combination of, we really did ambush him. Uh, that really did happen with, um, with Weir there. You know, I saw an opening as he was talking about it, but I, I had been asking everybody. You see me asking Dennis, you see me asking, um, and Mickey, everybody got the question, you know, will Hunter talk to us? Because I was just, I was basically planning for, for the possibility that he wouldn't talk to us. So I needed people to, to, to paint a picture for my audience of, of a guy who wouldn't give interviews yep. and who was a cipher. So at that moment when he, you know, I, I knew he was playing that night, right? I had actually been filming the shows, okay? I, so, so I was sort of, the door was open to me not to do an interview, but to, um, but to film him shooting. So I, I saw an opening, and I interviewed, and I asked Weir if he would, like, make an introduction kind of thing, right? So, uh, really, I'm spilling the beans here for you, right? So all that's real. Um, when he came up there, we were kind of looking over the shoulder with Weir. And then, you know, my, my fantastic cinematographer, Nelson Hume, who thinks really quickly on his feet, um, was was filming Hunter, and Hunter said, uh, Hunter went into finished his show, went into an elevator, and then this guy Nelson is so good at at, at uh, he he's like a a horse whisperer or something. He knows how <laughs> close to get and how far to stay. You can't get too far away. You have to be close enough so, but just in the right place so that the so that what happens is Hunter said, "Well, you're getting into the elevator or not?" And so he just went without me, and uh, I ran down the stairs. I chased him, and I I pushed myself into the room, and I had planned. Uh, As I saw all this happening this afternoon, I I had planned, what am I going to do if I finally get my wish and speak to Robert Hunter? And I realized um, that he was in some way better as a cipher at this point. And, you know, so I I decided with my fantastic uh, producer, uh, Ken Dornstein, um, and I think this is actually his idea. He said, well, let's ask him the worst possible question. And that's what we did. We just said, you know, uh, we know how much you love Picking apart your your you know explaining what your songs are really about. So what after all is Dark Star about? We asked him the worst possible question we could possibly ask him you know and um and it provoked uh, ire <laughs> you know and he and 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 you know he kicked me out of his as, uh, his uh, his room not long after that scene, you see. But it's just perfect, you know? It's like, it's just perfect. Right? It's actually so, a pretty good story. A, yeah, it's a group effort with a little bit of artifice, um, which I've now ruined for your listeners. Um, no, but, um, they've no, seen no. it mean, already. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I really think that in, in actuality, we're, I, I'm combining two different nights on some level, if you really mm-hmm. want to know. And I, because it's not like Weir is right behind me in that moment. He either had left, I think he had left. That's what happened he had left. But what I love about the way we edited that scene also is that you know it's like you, your audience at that point is tracking your story while listening to something else. They're listening to folks talking about, you know, Hunter as a car- as a person who doesn't like giving interviews, but at the same time, you know, peripherally you're watching Weir kind of edge closer you know and it's just you get it you know you, you you know you don't need any explanation about like how did you get over there because you've been led right up to the thing and you know of course we have that line he knows we're coming right you know, <laughs>
1: it's he, so good
2: well uh, well, uh where's yeah. where's known to be more than willing to fuck with people so <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs>
3: He was so willing to do that um, (laughs) several times and, and, you know, to act spontaneously, which is so fun with the help of Natasha, of course, you know, she, she, uh, she, she helped us a lot with that kind of stuff maybe you
0: can give us a little bit of insight on this, this may be giving way, but we felt like when Dennis was on and watching the film again, for me, uh, there's a little bit of tension between Dennis McNally and John Perry Barlow, or at least in the film, you're kind of giving the oppositional views where Dennis and Phil are trying to like, you know, send the message out to the crowd and John's playing kind of the, Oh, that will never work. Kind of the, you know, you're set John Perry Barlow up in a few acts to be, I don't want to say the bad guy, but bring in the harsh reality.
3: Well, okay. Uh, first of all, that's very editorial, obviously. You know, so 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 as you kind of already saying, you know, that that's a that's a tension between two perspectives, mm-hmm. and 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 we've kind of heightened the tension in a way. But you know, I'll have to say on that subject of Barlow, you know, Barlow is of two minds about this notion, anyway, right? So, you know, if you really track Barlow's role in the film, uh, he he himself has a both and perspective. Where early on in the seventy in the seventies section, he's kind of he's complaining about Jerry's um, unwillingness to take a stand, right?
2: Yeah, when he when he says evil doesn't need a seat at the table.
3: Yeah, you know, he's saying that used to bother me, and I kind of went to Jerry and said, you know, why don't we take these? Why don't we just make a distinction between who belongs here and who doesn't? And Jerry won't do it, you know, and that bothers Barlow. Um, but yet later in the nineties, when, when Dennis is, is doing the same thing in a way, Dennis is saying, Hey guys, we gotta, we gotta, uh, make a distinction between what being a deadhead is and what it isn't. It's not about gate crashing. We need to say like, you know, deadheads need to teach these people not to do that. I use Barlow saying he's laughing, but he's not, <laughs> I mean, I know, De- I, I, I heard Dennis on the podcast kind of, kind of grousing a little bit about Barlow, uh, saying that. But if you really think about it, Barlow isn't saying Dennis is wrong. Barlow is just laughing at the process. He's in a way, he's laughing at his old self. Yeah. He's saying- Good luck with that. Yeah. Good, luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that. Exactly. Right. So, so that's, that's not really tension so much as, uh, as two different parts of, of, of the whole truth. Right.
0: Yeah. It was just so
3: good. It just worked so well. That's all. That's you know, somebody, um, uh, Stephen Hayden um, said, uh, was asking this in, in his own podcast, um, about, you know, whether or not, y- y- you know, this notion of, like, trying to steer the ship at the end, right? Like, should Jerry have tried to steer the ship? And that's a really interesting, I think, fruitful question. It's like, is it really anarchy, you know? And, um, should one be trying to educate people about how to act? I mean, I think so. Yes. Right. But, like, Jerry on some level, um, I mean, I guess we're already sort of talking about it with regards to the iPhones, you know? I find that to be like this really interesting question and paradox that I don't have an answer for, so I know there's something interesting there for me, you know, about letters like that to the... I, to the- I,
2: I think, that, I, I think uh, Sam Cutler uh, has a, a good answer for that, and that is, you know, for a successful band to have a long career, you need to step away. And I think, you know, while Jerry maybe didn't want to lead, what he could have done is just stepped away uh, for a while because, you know, the the so-called bad element tends to kind of dissipate for a while. uh, You know, after the party's gone, and they'll find some other. adventure for their kicks uh mm-hmm. and and then you come back and uh, those who really loved you um they'll come back
0: well, um, well yeah but let's take phil's side here and, and from my personal side from 1989 to 1995 i saw over 100 jerry garcia band shows that's not yeah the but that's dead. Uh, yeah, that was that's but very that time different time.
2: than a grateful yeah. dead show
0: but uh, that, my, my point being is that jerry wasn't going to stop if they took a break well maybe yeah, yeah right
2: I mean, yeah. but, but, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Jerry would have stayed on the road, but a lot of the 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 monstrous uh, machinery that just kept on uh, growing that uh, created uh, you know another set of 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 large problems would have dissipated. So, but we can analyze this all day long.
3: Which, yeah, of course, we're we're, we're licking our wounds. You know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> the, that's the cathartic and of nature. Of course, you're gonna. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: I mean, because yeah, you know that's a great point. Point, Amir. I, I, I want to bring this up, and that is, you know, uh, we've heard from this from a, a lot of people, um, and I'm sure you have as well, is that you know this culpability that we share uh, that is, you know, you come away from, from the film. Um, that may have been the first emotional response that I had. Uh, and I think Peter, you did too, of, oh, wow. I, I was involved too. Uh, I didn't help. Well, my wife um. turned
0: to me after the movie. Yeah, and she was that made her upset. And I and I, I said, well, you know, that's, you know, that's why I'm saying I'm trying to take the Phil side that Jerry would have gone on as well, right? You can only be he. Mickey says it, you know, in the harsh reality, he killed himself, man. You know, like he yeah, has all to these also, things
3: are true. Right, he all has these to take resp-
0: personal responsibility for himself too. So you have to be careful about. You know, we're all, you know, he's, he's in it. We're all in it together. So I, you know, I don't, yeah. don't want to take. So my wife got a little upset, but it balanced out. That's what I'm saying. This is what was needed at this time to maybe move on, right? So maybe the yeah. dead and company and what this magic and men is that we had this, we can move on from uh, that. And I think that's what that's why we're, you know, we're all here and doing this. And I, I thanked Amir when I first met him because of that. And I think that's what we'll take away from this is that it was a, a healthy uh, water cooler after the morning of
3: Jerry's death talk we all needed. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And, and, you know, it's a culpability. Um, I mean, by the way, Phil has, is of two minds about it too, because he says what you just said. He says that, um, you know, he would have gone on with Jerry band, but he also says, you know, um, we, the only thing we could have done was to take a break, you know? Yeah, so he would have so, been cool with it. Yeah. Which he yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, right. I think it would have been a good idea to take a break on some level, but I wasn't standing in their shoes. Here's the thing. I mean, a key part of understanding Act 6, for me, was when Nick Palmgarten said... Um, and it gets lost a little bit. He says, you know, uh, Jerry, uh, when... He, w- there, there was something that, um, w- was fitting around Jerry, uh, seeming to be treating himself like hell. Um, because it fit with the music for us, right? And in in retrospect, you know, like and in, and in, in, and he comes back to that. Sorry, Nick comes back to that and says, you know, it, it, when I was younger, it was cool and it was romanticized by me. But then in the '90s, you know, I started to see that uh, it, it was no longer cool. And in some ways, y- you grow out of that notion of being um, ro- of being romantically enamored with uh, watching somebody treat themselves poorly and the kind of the the canny death act, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's part of the water cooler talk is that our culpability was not only in the way that Dennis describes it, where he says, you know, we all wanted the band to keep going for our, you know, to get off, but also because it was our happiness factor, but also our kind of romanticism around, um, rock and roll, you know, misbehavior or whatever, you know, which, you know, I'm, I'm as guilty of that as the next guy. And, and Jerry was this sort of embodiment on some level. Um, you know, it, it, we all saw him, at least when I got into it. We, we, he, we, we, we were not understanding that when we, when we were looking at a guy who looked 25 years older than he was, you know, that there was a side to that that was, that was unhealthy. And that we were kind of culpable in that way because we were just, just to, we weren't understanding, we weren't seeing it for what it was. I don't know how we would have changed that, but as as Nick says, you know, you grow out of that. you grow out of thinking that's okay. That's when well, you how I get, look you you
2: get way. you get older and you yeah. get closer to death. yeah, and uh, you begin to say, well, <laughs> that's not so romantic now.
3: yeah, like it could I, happen I, to you. yeah, I want to quit smoking. I want to you know go around the lake like all the things that Bridget is offering, you know, which when yeah. you hear it in the film, you laugh because you're like, oh, good luck lady, you know, yeah. but it's like actually, if you want to stick around, that's what you got to do. um. And uh, I I just, you know, I was obviously not his friend, so I don't know what it was like for people who knew him personally, but I know they all, you know, everybody in the band tried to step in and and get Jerry to to think about longevity, you know, Um, but maybe he just was less interested in that
0: and conversely if it wasn't for the deadheads and this dedication and these freaks giving their lives their money these decades to this band they never would have had this lifestyle and the support so it's a you know it's a two-way sword uh, you know it, when it comes along with fame and power and those types of things at a meta level we could talk about that goes along with any celebrity yet you know for the first 20 30 years all these people who became deadheads and became this subculture, um, you know, they owe all those families who had a good living and have houses in Marin and, you know, could go on for four decades and live a lifestyle that way. Uh, all were supported as well by us in this community. So the positive is goes along with the negative. It's both sides of the coin. At The
2: same time, Peter, the you know, the, the band didn't ever really care about money. It just kind of came to them without their really trying to it. You know, r- again, reading Sam Cutler's book, uh You know, when he shows up, you know, there's already 40 people that, you know, basically are part of, you know, what we call the family uh, making decisions and, you know, and in the collective. And that's how this whole thing kind of started. And it just kept on going. Well, yeah, I'm saying they could. sought
0: it. I'm not saying they sought fame and power mm. and wealth. I'm saying that. Not many people could get away with, you know, doing drugs and noodling on the guitar for 12 hours and get paid for 30 years with no hit radio.
3: Saw. Sol- Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to explain. I'm that still
2: trying. <laughs>
3: <laughs> By the way, you know, I I, I want to also mention that conversation. This is this is uh, reminds me that the conversation with Rosie and Bob uh, about the structure, the anarchic structure of decision making, was precious to me. You know, because that they really have that insider uh, you know, perspective, and, uh, that that-that was extremely informative for me to-to to hear. Um, the notion of-of how those meetings went and-and how Rosie saw it from the very beginning, um, you know, and then how Bob heard it, um, you know, coming in a little bit later. It's-it's-it's what we keep coming back to here, which is that, you know, that these principles, um, express themselves both in negative ways and in positive ways, and when you hear one of my favorite parts in Act Six is, is uh, the deadhead who's saying, "Look, you know, uh, she, she's uh, she's talking. We're watching footage of people gate crashing." And I'm kind of, you know, using her a little bit, to because she's saying, you know, these guys embraced anarchism when they were younger, and 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 that's and we get it now, and that's what we're doing, you know, and and something that is a very positive thing at one time, when it's expressed, can can be a very negative thing at a different time, right? So you can't just say like things should be one way or things should be another way, because it all depends on the context, you know, and uh, and 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 so one, you know, the, the expression of anarchy. That was making uh, the Grateful Dead so exciting in the early 70s or something when they were trying to make decisions can make it so um, shitty when deadheads are trying to do or thinking they're doing the same thing, gate crashing in the 90s.
2: Amir, I, I think I'm gonna come up with a, a new subtitle for, for the film. And because of all this punk rock top, I'm gonna call Anarchy in the USA Comes in yeah. Tie Dye.
3: Nice. I like that better than
2: what we. Can pick, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. There's so much anarchy in, 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 in some ways. Uh, you know, a, you know, in, in the punk world, it's very much about this release of anger. Um, it's a, it's a very one-off. And I, 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 I ran around with, uh, with the punk scene uh, back in the very late '70s and and early '80s in L.A., and uh, had a good time with that. Uh, Uh, but, um, but it's, it's, it's a very singular emotion with the dead. It's anarchy in a, in a, in a different way. It's, it's, it's the American value of, of complete and utter freedom and liberty. It is just, there are no rules. It's, and good things and obviously bad things can happen from that. Uh, and, and we see that throughout, uh, uh, throughout the um, uh, the entire film, the the history of of the band.
3: Well, without love and a dream, it'll never come true. I mean, you can't have anarchy if you don't have love, right? And mm-hmm. and 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 also, you know, Barlow puts it exactly right. You know, um, ignore alien orders. You know, think for yourself. So, yeah. like, you know, what's different is. If you're just gate crashing, say, you know you're you're expressing anarchy and lawlessness and 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 uh, and distrust of authority and all those things that are cool, you know, um, but you're not being responsible, you know what I mean you're not re- you're not thinking about the the uh, implications of your action in, in the context, right? so yeah, the consequences, I, I always get a little bit, yeah, the consequence. I always. I'm open to hearing more about it, but when people tout Jerry as this uh, libertarian um, icon, I I always am a little bit suspect, suspicious, because, um, you know, uh, his libertarian streak yes, he, he was, um, mistrusting of authority, but, but on the fundamental level, there was, there was a deep empathy for people, a deep caring, you know, that's what was at the bottom of all this, you know? And, 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 and so it was never, you're on your own. No, 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 no. We're all in this together and we have to figure out how to make it work with one another. Right. So that's, you know, I, I I think that's an important distinction. And, um, and 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 so yeah, I think anarchy is a big part of this, um, but uh, but anarchy with love, right? Well, uh, in all things, balance.
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, it, 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 if you can find the balance to both, and throughout most of their history, they did, uh, and successfully. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, as a, a big point that Jerry makes, it sure was a lot of fun.
1: Mm.
0: So, Amir, just a couple other questions I wanted to ask you from some of the folks out there who, who asked me. One other thing here I have here is so, did you uh, have a, uh, a laundry list of your wish list of everyone you wanted in the documentary? And then did you approach them all like as a Big Ten thing? Or did you have specific people and went and uh,
3: approach them? I improvised. And so, I did, I, of course, I must have started out with some kind of a list. And then as these things fell into place, uh, I would. I would cross people off the list, you know, because I, I would think of them as redundant, you know what I mean? Um, sometimes. So, so there were certain people who like, you know, knocked other people off the list. Um, because I, I knew that that other person could be fantastic yet. Uh, I, it would, it would, um, it would be, uh, it, it, you, you know, it's like, it was covered on a certain level, uh, um, and and I knew I had to move through the story and move through different perspectives, and I knew that people would end up kind of being stand-ins for a bunch of other people, right? So, you know, I, I had my deadheads, and there were other deadheads that I wanted to get, but, um, but you know, I, I didn't know... I, I didn't want to have, I want, I was trying to be as economical as possible. So the fewer, the better on a certain level. And, um, you know, so if you, if you, you know, I knew for instance, you know, um, uh, that, um, that, uh, like I didn't need all the different managers, you know, because Mm -hmm. I mean, and I kind of went after him. I was having a conversation with Scully before he died. Um, and I, I kind of had intended to talk to him. Um, you know, but, uh, but then when I had Sam, you know, who's obviously was only the manager for four years. Right. But the, the notion of like, you know, being frustrated by the band's anarchy, anarchic behavior, you know, is just sort of covered. You know what I mean? Um, and then um, um, obviously I, there were people I wanted who, who, who I felt but there were boxes that I wanted to check that I never got to check. You know, Mountain Girl is, is a is a shining example of that. You know, I, I wanted her until the very end, you know, but, um, but she didn't want to do it, you know? So, so it was a combination of, of, uh, of sort of moving my way through the story. Um, but also as, as people have said, I didn't feel the need to be comprehensive uh because there's how could you possibly do that you know um and I wanted it to be a thing that you could watch in one viewing while while people are now watching it episodically um that was never the intention I I I wanted people to be able to sit it and see it in one sitting so you know you're you're limited by that right so you can't you know um and then you have to think about what are people you know there are certain people who who are not um structurally important to the story you're telling so while bill graham is, is is extremely important on a certain level um you can tell the story without him i think you know um you know bill walton would be like another example of that like so so like al franken kind of knocked bill walton out you know what i mean right right yeah right. it's like if i had gotten al frank if i got bill walton first there'd be probably no al franken you know mm-hmm, what i mean it was mm-hmm. done improvisationally
0: Uh, getting the band to speak for themselves. I mean, was there a moment when you said, okay, I can make this film now, I got that interview? Was there, where was the point where you had your list and then you
3: got, okay, I got these and now I can do this? Was there that time? Um, It's a really good question. I think I didn't get, I I think by, because of schedules, I never got there until I've got, I had everybody because uh, I think I did fill last. Um, You know, and then another thing I did was I did, I did, Interview TC and I did interview Carol Latvala for different reasons. They didn't, I, I tried very hard to make them work. TC didn't work because he could only show up early on in the film, and it was really weird to have a guy show up as a foundational member when non deadeds like Andy are trying to get their heads around the whole thing and then he goes away. And the stories that he was really good at, you didn't want to hear from somebody other than these first few people you're introducing. And Carol Latvala didn't work because Dick Latvala's story wants to be its own film. And I actually cut like a 35-minute thing. Um, um, and, and And in a way... You want to do a, a glancing blow uh, on taping in the way that Nick Palmgarden and Al Franken deliver, not in the way Carol delivered, because it was so thorough and so enchanting. It became a gravitational pull that uh, knocked the film out of balance. But it will find a home. You know, All these things will find a home. That was um, the next question. When do we get yeah. the, uh, the directors? Yeah, we're going to come eight out eight with a DVD. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, we are com- going to come out with a DVD that will have all this stuff. You know, and you'll see when you see this stuff. Probably, I hope you'll see why I didn't incorporate it into the film proper. You know, uh, it's not because they were lousy interviews or or anything like that. It was simply in some in some cases because they were too good. And and we had to. We were always thinking about an arc of a film, an arc of a film. You know that was paramount. So oh, you have to. You have yeah. to have a narrative. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it's obvious yeah. in all your films. Yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, you know, I I get I get it. You know why people are bummed that there's not Vince and stuff like that. Uh, I was bummed about that too. I'm also bummed about all the the great music that's missing. But if you think about it, I was doing something more akin to a greatest hits album. You know. You know. So you're if you look at you know skeletons in the closet or whatever, you're always going to say. Well, where the hell is this song or that song? That was my job was to kind of like reduce the thing down um, in a kind of a ruthless way for for a film, you know. So um, you know there there are always going to be quibbling. Sometimes the quibbling, just to be candid, has has reached a place w- where. You know, I feel like it's 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 crossed a certain line for me, you know, on a certain level because it's just, you know, and i, I and mean, I've been delighted with the response, you know, but then when people are like making these long laundry lists of things that should have been in the film, I, I start to think, you know what? Um, that's the purview of critics. If you're a film critic, and and i and i, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at taking criticism. I, there's been amazing film criticism. and I mean criticism, not not in the uh, literal sense, you know, like, he did this wrong and that thing, and i've been uh, of of this film and other films, and i've and I've read it and I've said, Jesus, the guy's right. I should have done it that way, or whatever. Like, I'll try better next time. I, I, I'm—I think I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. Know? Let me—let me, let me uh, be honest. Let me—let me just be yeah. honest here, though. Yeah. I think
0: unless these weren't deadheads, everyone's jealous of you. Okay. So here's the issue. Let's just call <laughs> it with what this is. This is people who want to be you, Amir. <laughs> yeah. Deadheads who have their own personal connection, you know, to their own lives. They've given all a lot of their life to the dead, whether it's been through music, money, travel, whatever it is. They've seen <laughs> more know. shows than you, and they are what the vicariousness they you know i think there's they want their story they want to tell this is how, what they think of jerry this is what so i think that's a little bit what i'm getting from you know the supposed critics of this film it's less it's less about the film itself and more about oh well where's my experience in this
3: well yes and no there i i mostly agree with you but but also it's the internet you know, the Internet has demo- de- democratized things in a way that's really positive on one level. But also, you know, because of Yelp and everything else, everybody feels like, hey, y- you want to hear from me now. Like, uh, but you're not A.O. Scott. You're not Manola Dargis. You know what I mean? It's like, you you know, if you have the the insights and the chops to to, to do film criticism, then have at me. You know what I mean? But if you're just like you know you're you're kind of mansplaining you know and this that's another aspect of this which is gender you know it's like it's mostly guys uh who 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 feel like you know and, and but that's the, the problem with the internet is it creates this commons where it's like they're sort of spray painting on a, on a wall of, like, a place inside the main square of the town, you know? Um, and, and it's like, if you want to do that, you should take t- some time to talk about what you really don't like about the film or do like about the film and, and make a good argument. Everybody will be open to that. But if you're just pss, spray painting, like, should have had Mountain Girl, fuck you, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> like you don't, deserve, you don't deserve the space, you know what I mean? It's not you're spray painting on a wall, you know what I mean? And and uh, it's you can hear in my voice, it's kind of bothered me on a certain level. Maybe I'm thin-skinned, you know? But I gotta tell you, man, there are these film critics. Um, I mean, I've done this several times. I've reached out to people who've done film criticism of me and I've said, you know what? You taught me something about myself. Thank you, you're right, that is a shortcoming of the film. And, and so I don't think I'm thin-skinned about that kind of stuff. I'm just thin-skinned about other deadheads, you know, just trying to show off and talk about what they know to their friends or whatever it's, it's like, jealous you know that's all just uh um,
2: amir trash. amir this, this yeah. is waste this, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. let's right. let's move can, yeah. because yeah. The, yeah. the fact is is that it's very similar yeah. to the criticism that we've heard with the new Surgeon pepper mix uh you know the old guys who were there and they you know put it on the turntable the first time and put the needle right. down you know it's it sounds yeah. different oh my god why would they do that the my reality the reality exactly yeah. the reality yeah. is that long term they are all gonna fucking love it. You know it. So <laughs> that's just the way it goes. You know, get used to it. You'll figure it out. You'll come to and you'll go, okay, I guess it's not that bad. Okay, I guess he did the best job he could. Okay. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, oh, no. can Hey, we, so- hey so-
3: can we put on long strange trip again? Because yeah. I really want to see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you guys curated your guests, right? You could only have certain guests. And yeah. it's like people came to you and said, well, where's Jay Blakesburg? You know, I mean, well, why Dennis McNally and not, uh, you know, uh, Blair Jackson? You know, it's like, Come on, guys. You know, it's like, you, 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 anyway. All yeah, right. Okay. You know, we work. Yeah, one, one of the guests I want
0: to mention—I'm not sure if you heard our first episode—was Professor Rebecca Adams, who, oh yeah, you know, oh, actually, yeah, Steve, man. I a lot love of, her work. Yeah, a lot of folks tailed off of her work. I want to mention—we haven't mentioned her too much—and I brought her on the first episode for a reason because, back in the late '80s and early '90s, she's one of the very first people who took this that serious at a scholarly level—that there was something going on more with the real subculture that had language that had their own, you, you know. You could define it as a culture, and she challenged her students to do it. So, you know, and she lot- was
2: savagely criticized uh, yes. for it so uh, by the
0: government. To start <laughs> off with her, and I want to make sure yeah. where we end that we oh, mentioned you know, I'm Rebecca. so
3: glad that you said that because I mean, I got to tell you, I, I've been a fan of Rebecca Adams, Professor Adams's work, for you know, for as long as I can remember. And you're absolutely right. I, I, uh, her anthropological take on. The Grateful Dead, uh, is really what I've tried to do on some level with the the film, and it's because I learned that from And, really, she was the first to do that. Um, and-and, you know, if you look at Act 5 or whatever, you know, that's-that's all basically comes from her, you know, on some level. And so, uh, yeah. It was just really smart the way you guys curated the guests.
0: Appreciate that. We really, really do. And, you know, um, Andy, I know you're hanging on there and you need to get going. Andy, you want to, any final questions, thoughts before uh, you head out?
1: Well, I had a, I had a random question for you, Amir. Who are some of your favorite directors, just as an artist? Uh, film directors? Yes, sir. Uh, you know,
3: I mean, I it's it's, it's hard to say because I have a lot. But, you know, I mean, Werner Herzog it comes to mind. Oh, yeah. Um, you know. I'm really lucky. I live in Brooklyn right now, and I'm I'm near a lot of my. I have a, it just comes to mind. M- my friend Marshall Curry, who you know uh, is a great documentary director and a deadhead, um, um, has taught me a lot about how to tell stories dialectically. He has a film which you should seek out um, called um, "If a Tree Falls." About it's about the Earth Liberation Front. And, um, and 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 he, he sort of sells you on them and then sells you on the, the loggers who they burn down their you know logging uh, facility and then he tacks back and forth. Uh, and you constantly, um, he's letting everybody put their best foot forward on this complicated issue of whether or not there should be eco-terrorism, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, uh, and he, ultimately, you're left with yourself. You're left asking yourself, how do I want to be in the world, you know? And, um, I learned a lot from that film. Um, you know, I could go on and on about my film, favorite filmmakers, but with regards to this particular film, that, that's, that's one of the antecedents to it, you know? And that Joe Strummer film, too, you know, um, Julian Temple.
1: I, I thoroughly enjoyed your work and going back i hadn't seen happy valley and after watching long strange trip i went back and watched happy valley and that's a masterpiece too and i, I really wanted something i could i could like come at you with some like gotcha criticism and and it was like no oh, well uh, he's great okay <laughs> well, no, thanks, I, I, I really appreciate it. i really want you to do um a four-hour documentary about neil young <laughs> yes oh, man <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute yeah. wait, wait wait you <laughs> have to go
0: jim jarmusch jonathan demi was some big shoes to go up against yeah
1: yeah, yeah but those,
3: there's guys, of to that. their credit have, have never done the kind of the comprehensive you know the yeah. uh, i shouldn't say comprehensive but the career spanning They've, they've all had real um, specific angles. I mean, those are great films. Um, but, yeah, you know, I've tried. I've, I've tried to, to, uh, to, I, I, I maybe should try again. You know, Andy, it's been really great talking to you. And I think you, you know, um, you did much better than Snarky. And uh, I appreciate <laughs> that you brought your, your own history and family history in early on. I think that set the right tone. And I'll check out Real Rock. Um, and let's keep in touch.
0: Yes. Thank you so much. Uh, One thing we want to do before you go, Amir, is if you have, you know, there's a long list of credits at each act and you can't repeat them all. But there's a few people you'd like to just mention before you go who were important in the film. You've said a couple
3: names. Is there anyone else you'd like to toss out there? It's troublesome, man, because there's so many people involved in this um, that uh, it's, when I go down that road, it's like how I neglected to mention Rebecca Ad- – the, the fantastic Rebecca Adams. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, uh, there's just – it was it – was, I, I, I shouldn't do that. I mean, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you know, that's... as you guys have very uh, – um, generously mentioned at the at the outset, you talk. You just say there were a lot of producers. Uh, you know yeah. that that's uh, that's like one that that'll be a problem for me. I did a Q and A where I I just decided to wing it. You know, and I I left out one crucial uh, crew member, my line producer. <laughs> Uh, Stuart McPhee. And, <laughs> and man, his wife was there and everything. And I cannot let myself off the hook about it. I feel so bad. So, you know, um, I, I shouldn't do that because I'll I'll in, invariably leave somebody off. You could do so, the whole yeah. Oscar I'll give you. I'll thank give
2: God. You could a- thank your parents, God. I was going to say, I'll, I'll give you a softball. So uh, as the Academy Award campaign begun.
3: No, it, that's nice to say. You know, what wait, you wait. Say. Actually, you know, the
0: rumors are out there. There are rumors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: Well, I yeah. mean, I can answer it this way. Um, you know, and this again will sound like I'm I'm being falsely modest, but I mean, the experience for me of having this thing out in the world has been, you know, an experience that has I'll I'll cherish it the rest of my life. I've heard from like rabbis of mine, you know, from when I was a kid. I've heard from, um, you know, just hearing from. Um, Bridget and Sam, and 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 people in the film, uh, Steve. You know, like uh, people who uh, I've always wanted to be friends with. You know, and and I've always I've gained so much from from their work, and they've said, "Oh, you got you got it right," or you know. Um, It's been good in my Like, Bridget was really nervous, for instance, about being in the film, because she thought, you know, it would be a bad thing in her life, and and that hasn't come to pass. These are the, like, real awards of the film. You know, like, for me, it's like hearing from people, hearing from Pat Tillman's mom. Danny Tillman, who's like an idol of mine, you know, she, mm-hmm. she, uh, she just emailed me a couple days ago. She just watched the film. I mean, that is like, I cannot begin to tell you what that's like, you know? And then, you know, yeah, yeah. My parents had to endure my deadheadness, you know, and, and they, they, it must not have been easy for, for, for them. Uh, when I was, uh, running around to dead shows as a 16 year old, a 15 year old, you know, I remember big fights about things, you know, and, yeah. and, and they're hearing from all their friends, you know, and that just I mean, you know, you 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 can imagine it's been like really rewarding for me.
2: I I think I think it's we, we we've got a great show here, so let's 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 call it. What do you think, Peter?
0: Yeah, we've chatted with Amir now twice on deeper digs in rock, and we've obviously done this show where we've spent upwards of now eight hours discussing a documentary that he did. There is something going on here that you know we have taken away the inspiration from you, Amir. I know Christian has talked about this a lot when we create our podcast and we try to create some of the original main series of the rock and roll archaeology project is more theater of the mind, and we. Uh, I know that Christian and I and the team are going to be inspired and take away a lot of things we learn from watching this documentary and what we do. So that's just a big thank you from our team for all the process you're giving us this time to do all this. It's been great.
3: Yeah. Thanks, man. It's really mutual. I've, I've, I've so enjoyed getting to know you guys and your medium. And um, I'll, anytime, if there's anything else I can do or participate in, uh, you, know, you, you know, I'll say yes. When, uh, when, when, when are you coming out West Coast uh, next? Uh, I'm actually going to Oregon um, at the end of. The, I'm not going to be in the Bay Area uh, okay. anytime soon. I mean, probably probably late, uh, like in the fall.
2: Oh well, that's fine. That's fine. You'll yeah. have to come out um, for yeah, the yeah,
3: rumored right. New yeah. Year's show in in uh, the Bay Area. <laughs> Is there a rumored Denenko show? Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. John Yeah. Mar- yeah oh, there's, a, there's there's rumor fall of, to Bay, it. There's uh, all kinds of New New, a of rumors. a San Francisco yeah. or Oakland New Year's show. Yeah. Man, I, I I'm there like San Fair. I had so much fun. Uh, you know this both tour last summer and this summer. You know, same here. I mean, we, well, same you we got to see so
0: I'm so jealous, I mean, You got to see OTL do the "Comes of Time"
3: and the China Doll. Uh, I was out there, man. I was out there at the uh, China Doll uh, at, at Mountain View. You were? Oh, you were here the day? Oh, you know, we went I parachuted Sunday. in. I, yeah, I, I know you did. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I parachuted in um, without telling anybody and went to the show with a bunch of old friends of mine, including the guy who turned me on to the Grateful Dead and um, it was it was so fun. It was so great. And then and then uh, I went to Fenway, um, and and that was spectacular. And then I went to City Field. I mean, I I, I regret uh, not going to Boulder, but I mean, I I have like three kids. <laughs> i have been mean, <Yeah>, like yeah. <laughs> so so bad. You know, I yeah. my in laws watched them last summer. We just like jumped on a plane and went to Oregon and and the the gorge. It's it's really fun. It's really good. With these guys oh so you're still on the bus
0: so even this documentarian who's you know ended it all when jerry ended makes everyone's like oh
3: well, 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 sad you're you're no no, no. You i, lost I, the I energy. suspended it all when brent died and i renewed it all when O'Teal yeah. and john showed up ah that's that's my story yeah yeah no i'm yeah. back do you know you know yeah. that
0: do you know that the first time ever uh as far as i in recorded history that bobby came out of a playing reprise and he opened up with the word stay in the band
3: no, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that happened this tour. Oh, was that so
0: Chicago? There was all the rumors in Chicago. Yeah. He comes out the of play of and plays reprise, and the first line is, stay in. Oh, that's uh, awesome, man. I, like, I didn't know that. that, I was didn't like, that. I, it was yeah. like the subtle signal that, you know, that Je- we're going to be okay, you know, that John and Jeff and O'Teal, no matter what happens, you know, they're staying in the band. You know, it was really cool.
3: I you know for me I look at it as a different band on a level on some level. Oh, I mean, oh yeah yeah. I, I mean and and I and I and I I um I think it, that Oteal and uh, and John and Jeff and they they should feel I hope as time goes on that they will you know that they'll pull the band in new directions you know because Oh
2: they're I, already starting think, to. Yeah, I can mean see, I think yeah cuz you know Bob, Bobby loves that that uh, that uh, BPMs to be about uh, 80 and you can see John and O'Teal kind of pushing right. it up all the time so it's, true, it's, it's, a, true. it's already yeah. starting to happen so man
3: it's, um, it's hey, so fun listening to them and I, and as you guys have pointed out the vibe is so good at these shows you know it's it is it's really it's, better than it's been for no, me anyway so, for since
2: since Brent you know yeah. two two things I I, I want to add is is one w- with the the you know i think everybody you know, you mentioned it's a it's kind of a new band well you know so would be the same thing to those who were around when pigpen was around uh the band very distinctly changed after Pigpen passed, and they moved into to a little bit more of the the mid 70s uh, feel. And you know, I, I remember talking to old deadheads who would kind of you know you know grouse at at the the Brent years and kind of go, yeah, but you didn't see back in the 70s or in the 60s sort of thing. And we probably feel the same way. All I know is that I saw a lot of kids out there that were digging this, and as far as they're concerned, this is their Grateful Dead, and and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, and that's that's a fantastic thing. But more importantly, um, the thing that I really want to end with is that we, we heard this several times in our, in our podcast with our, our, our various um, uh, guests, and that is that this film is really just an opening act. For a lot of um, of opportunity for people to tell other stories, you you mentioned Dick Latvala as a as a as a great example that you would like to see uh, done. Others have mentioned other pieces uh, to that, and I and I think um, you know, uh, like we've talked about several times, uh, um, not only in in this particular show but throughout. And that is there is this spirit corporally, Maybe the the film ends with Jerry. Uh, and, um, uh, and the grateful dead as, as, as an act ended, but the spirit of that, um, has definitely, uh, continued in so many directions. Uh, you know, it's, it was, it's like an exploding star, um, you know, and as we know, we're all made up of star stuff.
3: Yeah. Well, I couldn't have put it better myself and that is why I named the last act. It becomes everything. Yeah. 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 And, you well, know, one here. thing I'll say, you know, Steve Silverman, he also says, you know, about that type of thing. Uh, and you can cut this out. But, you know, uh, like he says, uh, he, he he was talking about what you just mentioned, people grousing about, yeah, why are they playing hell in a bucket? And and he, and he said it to me, uh, you know, ah, that's crazy. The night belongs to whoever's having the most fun.
2: Yeah. Bingo. That's <laughs> the way they
3: end it up. Yeah.
2: Hey, I, I want to thank all of, of our guests. Uh, Professor Rebecca Adams, Tom Rizzuto, uh, Rosie McGee and Bob Braylove, Tracy Simmons-Bulla, Dennis McNally, Professor Charles Hughes, Steve Silberman, Erica Brett, Susanna Millman, Ron Purser, uh, and Amir Barlev lev and Andy King. Thank you, guys. It's been a long, strange podcast.
3: Yes, it has
1: yeah okay. okay.